Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Common Sense Show. This is Dave Hodges, along with my co-host, Sheila Zielinski, and we are really pleased to be with you today. We have a terrific show for you. We are pleased to have the famed economist, as I like to call him, Joseph Meyer from Straight Money Analysis. And Joe has made uh, some predictions for what's coming up here in the new year. So this is a very timely interview, a very important interview. And I will tell you, I know Joe's techniques of delivering interviews. You're going to want to get a pencil and paper handy. So do that now and we'll bring Joe in. We'll introduce him. And then when we get into it, it's going to go fast and furious. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Dave. Thank you and the Common Sense Show for having me this morning. Always a pleasure to visit with you and your listening audience. Thank you, Dave. Well, the pleasure is all ours, my friend. I've got Sheila here with me, Sheila Zielinski, our co-host. Well, you're really kind of turning over some tables, economically speaking, here with things that you've been saying about what's coming. And uh, let's just have at it. Joe, I'm going to let you decide where you want to jump into this carousel and begin the interview. Well, I think when we speak to the U.S. economy, there is no question that we're slowing down and slowing down very dramatically. I think we're also seeing a very pronounced economic slowdown globally. We're seeing problems in China. We're seeing problems all through Europe. And I think we're in the very early stages of reentering recession if we haven't already done so. And most likely we're going to know in the next several trading days whether officially we've entered uh, bear market territory in, in the equity markets here in the U.S., so needless to say, we've started off the new year with a lot of fireworks, and quite honestly, I think as we get into the latter part of January and into early February and March, we're going to see some dramatic changes in all these markets and certainly some very dire economic uh, data coming out to confirm it. Yeah, let's jump into those specifics. Uh, Sheila, uh, let's ju have you jump in here and I'll let you push the direction. Well, Joseph, you mentioned China there. China's still pegged to the dollar. They're devaluing because the feds keep messing with the USD. You've got zero interest rate policy, ongoing currency wars with nearly all currencies to save their own economies. And that's why there's obviously a rise amongst the elite to get rid of cash to protect against bank runs over in China and Japan. We see gold is not manipulated by their government or their central banks and is reflected fairly correctly in price in relation to the yen and the yuan. And as China mulls the proposition of devaluing their currency another 10 to 15 percent in the coming months, gold more than stocks or bonds is really proving to be a pretty good investment for citizens within the second largest economy in the world. And in other words, we're now right back where we were in mid-August, just before the bottom fell out of the economy. And then what's your take on what's happening in places in Europe like Sweden and Germany? Well, I think in Europe we're witnessing a slowdown. It's been long overdue. Europe has had its problems. I think the central banks of the world, which had been very accommodative up until what we've recently seen with the U.S. Fed hiking interest rates and hiking them, I think, more, more interestingly, in the month of December, I did a little research, and to see the Fed raise interest rates in the month of December, we'd have to go all the way back to 1937, which was a very interesting period where the Fed went ahead and raised interest rates, and 
the economy suffered and we, we re-entered a very difficult period where we didn't start to come out of it till the start of World War II in 1941. So I think the key moving forward is what the central banks of the world do. Do we see more quantitative easing? Do we see a QE4? I think the answer to that is, is not if, it's a question of when, and I think it's sooner than later. I think the Fed did make a mistake in raising interest rates in December. Looking at the economic data that I was able to review, I felt it was totally unjustified with the Fed looking in the rearview mirror and not looking ahead. I think the economy is weakening now. I think the uh, Christmas holiday season sales are going to be extremely poor. And we've also noticed in early January an announcement by many retailers that they're going to be closing stores and, and cutting back on staff. So I think it's an interesting time. The markets are reflective of what's happening. A lot of volatility uh, in the U.S. equity market, which I think will continue. Then we're seeing a slowdown in the Chinese economy. It became very overheated. We've now seen the yuan devalued. We've seen the Chinese come in and attempt to prop up their markets, which they've done so far successfully. But now we're starting to see weakness once again in the Shanghai uh, index. And I think we're just seeing a, a long, slow, grinding, global slowdown, which has further to go. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, there's no question that's going on. But I bet this is also related to the Baltic Dry Index which continues to plunge into the depths of new record lows day after day. Would you please comment on that? Well, the Baltic Dry Index, as you know, Dave, it measures the cost of shipping raw materials such as coal, iron ore, and grain. And the Baltic Dry Index has fallen uh, around 20% so far uh, here in early 2016, down to around a 384 level. This is the first time that we've ever fallen below the 400 level. And more interestingly, it's also fallen about 70% from the August uh, 2015 level of around 1,222, and it's now off almost 96% from its all-time peak level. So I think what we're witnessing, the global economies of the world are now in deep economic downturn. As I've said, we've got the major exporting countries, such as China, South Korea, all feeling the pain uh, of the slowdown with us here in the U.S. as well. So this is, again, a very interesting time and historic, Dave. Are we going to see food shortages as well as other product shortages? I don't think at this point, honestly, we can rule out anything. I, I think we're seeing a very pronounced economic shift. You and I have talked about this for quite some time, and I think we're finally starting to th see the things take place in the economies of the world and more importantly in these markets we had been expecting for quite some time. Joseph Dave just talked about the BDI and of course we see that Treasury yields are plunging back below 2.00%. That's the lowest in over four months. WTI crude front month and that's just tumbled to $28 a handle and Dow futures are now down over 500 points from this morning's exuberant stimulus. Crude collapsing back below $29. That is frightening. And yet there's all these bizarre stories in the mainstream financial economic news. Are you surprised with this? I'm not surprised with the economic news I see on a daily basis because I knew this economy had been in trouble, Sheila, for quite some time. It was a question of when the things we had been looking for over a long period of time finally materialized. And I think 
We're getting the surprises that are shocking this market. And when you take a look at the massive debt service by the individual sectors, I think if you look at cor- look at governments, corporations, individuals, and you look at the unsustainable massive bubbles we've had, common stocks, bonds, real estate, both commercial and residential, what we're witnessing in these markets, quite honestly, was overdue, and it's going to be very, very painful. I look at the stock market, Joe, and I am so concerned. And I just take a glancing look at it each day because it's just so depressing to look at. But every day, it's new record plunging. I mean, it's just down and down and down and more down. When do we reach a critical mass when the whole thing just implodes? Well, I've spoken many times that I thought we were long overdue for a full 20% correction uh, in the U.S. equity mark indexes. And I felt that what we had seen in August was roughly about an 11 11% correction in the averages. And I thought at that point we would rally back to the upside as we came into the seasonality we normally see in the month of December and in early January. And as you know, Dave, we usually see the last five uh, trading days of the year, which is the Santa Claus rally, and the first uh, two trading days of the new year be very positive. And what we witnessed this year was a very weak rally in the equity markets in late December. And then as we got into early January, we started straight down. But to put things in a more clear perspective, I'd like to share with your listening audience where I think a full 20% correction could take the various indexes, Dave. A full 20% correction in the Dow would take us down, which the Dow currently, as of Friday's close, was 15.988, would take us down to the level of 14.681. In the S&P 500, Friday's close was 1,880. Full 20% correction would take us down to the level 1,708. And in the NASDAQ, we closed Friday 44.88. Full 20% correction in NASDAQ would take us down to 41.32. If we were to violate those levels, we would then be officially in bear market territory. So these next uh, couple of weeks are going to be very volatile and very interesting, Dave. Yeah, interesting is your word. Frightening is my word. What's your? I really want to get your take on the Swiss setting up the major RMB trading centers in Zurich. I mean, we've got the Chinese financial flow in RMB. You've got all these German watchdog groups talking about the Deutsche Bank. So what is your perspective on what is going on when it comes to this RMB trading center out of Zurich, Joseph? Well, I think when you talk about what is going on, we've, we have three wars that are going on simultaneously, and I've spoken to these three, three areas in a previous show with Dave, and maybe it's appropriate if you agree, Sheila, that we review the three ongoing wars that are currently still underway. The first one is the political war. We have ongoing wars and crises still working its way through as what we're trying to understand in both the Ukraine and the Middle East. We have a monetary war now being played out globally between the precious metals and all the world's global fiat currencies. And lastly and thirdly, but more importantly, we have an ongoing petroleum war. Countries around the world continuing to make plans to settle trades for oil and gas by bypassing the U.S. dollar. Gold and silver now a choice for for settling transactions involving the purchase of energy supplies. 
And now we have Iran once again as the wild card. So there's many things going on, but I think when we take a look at what are the three forces that are going to really dictate where we go, I think it's those three ongoing wars that will continue, I believe, for quite some time. Well, this is so fascinating to hear you say this, and I'm going to allude this to this in an upcoming commercial that I do. But I've been talking to people who sell precious metals, and they're telling me they almost can't give it away. So does that mean this is the ideal time to get into this, Joe? Well, I think it's the ideal time. I think these markets, when they move back to the upside, are going to do it in a very dramatic fashion. I think we're going to see very large moves back to the upside. Uh, Once money starts to flee these other paper asset classes and once again look for a hedge against inflation and the storage of wealth, which I think is going to be very important to preserve and certainly allow people to be part of a market that I think in the years ahead of us is going to be very exciting. Very good. Well, we're talking to Joseph Meyer from straightmoneyanalysis.com, and we will be back with Joe after a word from these sponsors. For this week's Ranger Gear Review, we are literally giving away folding credit card knives for one penny each. This is Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, and to take advantage of this offer, just go to freefoldingknife.com. That's freefoldingknife.com, and you'll get this folding credit card knife for just one penny. This isn't some gimmick. This is a real emergency use folding credit card knife with a steel blade, very, very sharp, 65 millimeters in length on the blade, but it folds down like origami to the shape and size of a credit card. This makes it incredibly easy to carry in a pocket or a purse or the glove box of your car and have it ready for emergency use. Normally, these are sold for anywhere from $5 to $10, but right now at freefoldingknife.com, you can get one of these origami-style folding credit card knives for just a penny. Limit one per order, please. So take advantage of it right now at freefoldingknife.com. Welcome back, everybody. And before we rejoin Joseph Meyer from StraightMoneyAnalysis.com, I want to tell you about my friend Steve Quayle. And you just heard Joe talk about this. This is an ideal time to be in precious metals. You've got a lot of the precious metal traders that I talk to say that they almost can't give away their product right now. Folks, this is the time to get in. The dollar is imploding right before our eyes. And you heard Joe say it right here. The next two weeks are critical. Don't wait. Give Steve a call right now. He's got people available. Call him at 406-586-4842. That's 406-586-4842. Rejoining Joseph Meyer and Joe. Well, Joe, we're, we're in such unprecedented times, at least in my lifetime, about what's coming. I have a question for you here. Other than rolling back the interest rate increases that the Fed imposed last month, which was absolutely crazy, what else can the government do to mitigate or forestall a potential collapse of the dollar that seems to be almost inevitable? Well, I think at this point we have to enact another stimulus. It would be a QE4, as I discussed earlier, and I think it's needed now rather than later. 
When we look at the velocity of money, as you know, it's been falling for quite some time. And I think the domestic economy has continued to weaken and weaken now very, very significantly. And I'm very concerned with the job market uh, as we move forward. Seeing companies announce these layoffs and cutbacks very early in the year is very disturbing to me. And we're at the point now where decent paying jobs have never materialized. It's getting harder now to put food on the table, keep a roof over your head. People are carrying such a tremendous amount of debt and opportunities have never been more limited than I've seen in my lifetime. So I think the Fed at some point has got to step up. They've got to cut back uh, on on the talk of, of raising interest rates even further, with it, which I believe would be absolutely ridiculous. And I've gone on the record and I've said in various issues of the newsletter that before we would see 1% uh, in, in interest rates, we would see zero once again. And I believe that's a distinct possibility. But the economy at this point now is at a very critical juncture and it's leading to what I think could be a repeat of what we witnessed in 2008 and nine. You look at the Greeks at the European Union, the defaulting on the debt, Euro Central Bank announcing more QE tampering. And that's another thing. Good old 2.0 Bernanke in a skirt, I call her Janet Yellen over there. Miss Keynesianism. What is with all this absolute frightening QE tampering here? Well, I think they're very concerned with how much money has been put into the system. Uh, if we go back and we take a look at the Fed balance sheet, which we've spoken to with Dave in previous shows, going back in 2007 and eight, we had the Fed balance sheet right around $800 billion. We then enacted, as you know, Sheila Tarp to bail out the banks in Wall Street. And we've started down a road of putting money into the system that's now increased the Fed's balance sheet to, to $4.5 trillion. So we're at the point where I don't think we can continue to carry these trillion-dollar-a-year budgetary deficits. We're definitely reaching the point where no one's going to want the dollar, no one's going to accept the dollar. And if this economy doesn't start to turn around quickly and companies don't begin to start hiring once we see the QE come back into the system, I think we're headed for some very serious trouble. And oh, man, oh, man. I'll tell you, I I think I'm going to hide under my bed after this interview because even if you're involved in a profession right now that's doing well and you're able to put away some money, these people are eventually going to get dragged into it too. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about collateral damage, Joseph, in terms of how average people who are now making ends meet are going to get sucked down the toilet, economically speaking. Well, if you have a job, I don't think you can count on it, certainly as you have in the past. I I don't believe we're going to be creating the decent paying jobs as quickly as one would want to believe to save the U.S. economy. We could have went ahead and we could have taken the money that had gone into Wall Street and the banks and we could have rebuilt the infrastructure of America and we could have done it uh, several years ago. We could have rebuilt the roads and the bridges and the dams, and we could have remodeled our universities. We could have uh, certainly uh, redid our sewer and water. So there's a lot we could have done that we didn't do. And I believe had we done that at the time, which was an opportune period in which to do it, things would have been far different. But when you look at the equity markets, and I think that's reflective of the illusion that this economy had been recovering and growing for quite some time, and we're starting to see it unravel and unravel very quickly, but people lose sight of the fact 
that the rally in the U.S. equity market started from Dow 6470 and 670 in the S&P 500. So we had literally over a 10,000-point advance uh, in the major U.S. averages. But for the average working American, his standard of living continued to deteriorate all through that period of time as he continued to pile on debt upon debt to maintain his standard of living and lifestyle, which was not being supported by the underlying economy. That's, that's the problem, Dave. We're now facing the piper for that. You know, in the very beginning when you were talking about, um, you know, basically going after the infrastructure and uh, improving that, yes. you mentioned, you know, revamping universities, sewers, and so forth, it puts me in the mind of Franklin Roosevelt in the Depression era with the first New Deal. Is, is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what you're hearing. I think it's a very apropos comparison. So are we talking about the great global reset beginning here? Is this really what we're looking at? It's already underway, Sheila. Okay, so it is. Well, and Joseph, Angela Merkel faces a lot of party rebellion over Germany's stance on refugees. Look at that situation and then couple that with their financial system. What is going on in Germany Well, the Germans, uh, as you know, had the strongest economy in the European Union. They had very little debt. Their currency was very strong. Their exports were very strong. And they were sitting on very, very large uh, gold holdings as well. Absolutely. But when you look at what has gone on in the European Union, when you talk about Greece, and Greece is just the tip of the iceberg, but when you look at Portugal and Spain and Ireland, you know, these are additional countries that are in deep economic trouble. And again, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when we start to see the problems unfolding. Certainly part of what has gone on in Greece with the bailout, which I think was a mistake, and I think it will fail, And the contagion from what happens to Greece, I think, eventually will work its way through the whole European Union. Merkel, she's always offering somebody a trade union deal. She discarded the whole TTIP trade pact. And then at Davos, she did a weird thing. So are you surprised that she actually offered a trade pact with Russia, which, I mean, totally rejected the U.S.-led transatlantic trade agreement? Were you surprised with that move? No, I really wasn't, because Germany is very dependent, as you know, on Russian natural gas. Absolutely. And I think it's part of a bigger scenario and a bigger picture that few people understand. I think Germany is very dependent on their relationship with the Russians. Well, I think you're right. And then, of course, the Deutsche Bank perspective, you look at improper manipulations. China and Russia have been developing for two years that whole Eurasian trade zone. You look at Silk Road and bricks again, market rigging. So that's really what we're looking at, aren't we? I couldn't have said it better, Sheila. <laughs> Sheila, you're, you're taking the words right out of my mouth here. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let me take this a step further, Joseph, um, with the excellent question that Sheila asked. I, I look at uh, Germany uh, in terms of how they view the United States is, is a friend who's, well, let's put it this way, it's a romance that has died and can't be rekindled, and I believe Germany is going to leave NATO. What do you think? Well, I don't think we can rule it out. I'm very concerned when I uh, certainly had time to digest the immigration policy that's currently underway in Germany. I think this is certainly a major, major problem moving forward. And we're starting to see pushback by the German population uh, at this time because they're not accepting of this policy. 
So where in the bigger picture this will lead, I think that's the wild card. And honestly, at this point, I don't really know, Dave. That's right on the money with your analysis. I've got, uh, oh boy, do I admit to this? Yeah, what the heck? Uh, although they want to remain anonymous. I've got two cousins that live in Germany, and I talk to them by Skype frequently. And that's exactly what they're saying. And they're saying that the Germans, legally and illegally, are loading up on firearms because they're afraid of these immigrants coming in, the rape. Uh, incidences in their country have skyrocketed. The Germans are being kicked out of their apartments to make room for these immigrants coming out of the Middle East, and they are fearful of them. And this could be a spark that sets Germany into tremendous civil disobedience. And that's why I asked the question about leaving NATO. I think it's the kind of thing that could get Germany to change directions. And then one more thing, and I get you to comment on this. I read this on Yahoo News two days ago that one of the most popular books being sold inside of germany today is mein kampf you're absolutely right i recently read something on that it was startling but again it wasn't surprising mein kampf who would have thought i say every day is like a nature hike through the third reich (laughs) switching gears a little bit years ago when i was working with the ministry of environment i was overseeing some approvals for a very large mining deal on an open pit copper mine New Gold owned a mine, and one of the metals guys, he was a very renowned geologist, actually told me this when we had lunch. He said, you know, silver is done. Its days are numbered. We're running out. And in fact, he even put a timeline on it. What are your thoughts on the fact that silver is depleting? I think you're absolutely right. When you speak about silver, going back after World War II was complete, we had about 5 billion ounces above ground. I don't think we have even a fraction of that today. I think when you talk about the precious metals, once again, physical is very scarce. I know people are very negative on the precious metals, and people want to believe that when the time is right, and they'll so decide when that would be, that there'll be plentiful gold and silver to buy. They couldn't be more wrong. There's very little gold and silver available at these prices currently. And I think what physical gold and silver is available is going to continue to dry up. Well, Dave mentioned a word in this interview I think is so astute, and it's the word implosion. When you have stagflation, deflation, inflation, and all this stuff comes home to roost, Dave and I have talked about this for years, what happens when all this debt comes home to roost is the first question. And then the second one with your comments on gold and silver, what does this look like for Joe Lunchbox Carrier? Well, it's going to be a very dramatic change in his lifestyle and certainly the way he views uh, the opportunities ahead that he can give uh, himself and his family. People lose sight of the fact one ounce of gold has bought the Dow already twice in history. As you know, number one, it did it in 1932, and it did it a second time in 1980. But people lose sight of the fact, Sheila, that gold follows a 40-year cycle. Silver follows about a 50-year cycle. We had a ratio 16 ounces of silver equal one ounce of gold, 1870, 1920, 1970, Projected again, 2020. Gold follows a 40-year cycle. We had highs 1920, 1980, projected 2020, lows 1940, 1960, and 2000. So there is a pattern here of what I believe the metals are, are carving out that's ahead of us that few people realize. 
I think it'll come down at the end of the day to, to each and every one of us. What are our assets? What are our liabilities? How much physical gold and silver do we have and where do we own it? You know, you can own physical gold and silver, but I've said many times you've got to take possession of the physical. Because I think physical, again, will become very scarce, and I agree with your comments earlier that the upside in silver could be staggering. We could see several thousand dollar an ounce gold, and we could see a couple of hundred dollar an ounce silver, which I think uh, in the scope of just how much money is in the system and how much debt is going to be repudiated would be very easily understandable for a lot of people that would look at the data. You know, you mentioned debt repudiation. Do you think that will include the credit swap derivatives, which is estimated by many to be worth about $1.5 quadrillion? Well, it just is in any way that, that these contracts can certainly have any value. You know, once, once they start uh, unwinding and they start unfolding and spiraling out of the control in the market, they're going to become worthless, Dave. Well, we're going to step aside for a break, folks. We'll be back in just a moment. More with Sheila and Dave after a word from our sponsors. All right, for this week's Ranger Gear Review, did you know that hackers and government agencies can scan your RFID personal identity details through the air invisibly using an RFID scanner that reads the chips that are increasingly on driver's licenses, passports, and credit cards? Merely by walking near an RFID scanner, which may be hidden, by the way, you can have your personal identity details stolen without your knowledge or consent. My name is Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, and I launched Ranger Gear to be able to offer solutions for problems just like this. We came up with RFID blocking sleeves that interfere with RFID scanning attempts and block them so that no one can steal information off your credit cards, driver's licenses, or passports. You just slip any credit card or passport into one of these sleeves, and it immediately blocks the RFID scanning. It can't get through it. It's like a bulletproof vest against RFID signals. These RFID blocking sleeves are infinitely reusable. They're durable. They're portable, lightweight, almost weigh nothing. And you have to use them now when you travel to protect your identity and your personal security as well. We've got them on sale now, a pack of 10 credit card sleeves and two passport protectors. All of them block RFID 100%. They're available now 10% off by using discount code DAVE at rangergear.com. Again, just use coupon code DAVE at rangergear.com and you'll save 10% off this RFID blocking sleeve pack, which contains 10 credit card sleeves and two passport protectors. I really can't emphasize this enough. Anywhere that you travel right now, if you have these RFID chips embedded in your cards or passports, you are being scanned and tracked without your knowledge. But you can block that using these RFID blocking sleeves right now. Rangergear.com. Use discount code DAVE to save 10% today. Well, Sheila, we said a mouthful here in the last segment. There's no question about that. Well, I've been saying all along that debt repudiation is the only hope we have of forestalling this implosion of the dollar. And I didn't say mitigating. I said forestalling. Joe, do you agree with that statement? Let's have you elaborate on that point. 
Well, I think we're on borrowed time. There isn't any question. There's a lot of dollars uh, washing around the world in, in, in many different asset classes. We've started to see money come into uh, paintings that are very famous. We've seen money come into artifacts. We've seen money pile into trophy real estate in the various cities around the globe. And we've seen very little interest uh, in, in hard assets to precious metals. I think oil is a very interesting scenario with these price levels. I know a lot of people are forecasting 10 possibly $20 a barrel oil. I think it's a pipe dream, Dave. I think we may go down to $25, $28 a barrel, but I think at that point you're looking in, at the long-term uh, ramifications of these oil prices going down uh, further, and I just don't think it's a possibility. When you think about the TARP program and the Congress has had the chance in history to deal with some of the worst decisions ever made under Hank Paulson and then the international banking cartel, Slick Georgie and his gang of hucksters there, how does Congress willfully go along with the destruction of a country? Because let's face it, the jig is up here. The Ponzi scheme is exposed the Great Depression playbooks exposed. Forget being cited. We're being vetted as the source of all the bond fraud, the, the Forex, the gold market fraud, the source of the derivative fraud. We're the last drunken sailor at the punch bowl and everyone else is left. Everything you said is uh, accurately very, very true as to what is currently going on. And when you talk about our national debt, and I'll touch upon this quickly, as you know, it's it's north of $19 trillion. But People lose sight of the fact that when Ronald Reagan came into office in 1981, we owed $1 trillion. When President Kennedy left office, we owed $288 billion. So we've gone down a road of this money printing to the point where it's not sustainable. At some point, we're going to see the dollar rejected, certainly as, as, as a currency used to purchase goods and services. Again, I'm amazed, quite honestly, and I couldn't agree with you more, that we were able to go down this road as far as we have. How much further we can go, I don't have the answer to that. But I think when you look at what is happening uh, in the U.S. economy, what is happening with real estate, what is happening in the U.S. equity markets, what is currently happening with the metals, we are living in extraordinary times. We're in uncharted waters, and anybody that don't believe that's going to get a wake-up call, and I think it's going to be very, very painful when they do. Why, that's, uh, that's just frightening to hear you talk that way, Joseph, because I have heard you speak for years, but in the past six months, your message has become increasingly grim, honest but grim. And as I look at it, the picture that you're painting, the one thing that I have to wonder is, will the government move to confiscate the people's gold so the commoners don't have a leg up when we come out of the depression on the other side? Well, I don't think anybody will turn it in voluntarily as they did the last time. I think this is a much different country and a much different world than certainly what we had witnessed in 1933. But I want to touch upon a point I think you'll find interesting. Do you know what the official government price for an ounce of silver still is? No, I don't. Did the research. I looked it up. $1.29 an ounce. So any silver carried on the U.S. government books is carried at $1.29 an ounce, not, not the uh, market price of around $14. 
Let me ask you this, Joseph, because as you alluded to so astutely, China's been in stockpile mode of gold for years. You know, yes, they have. Back up the truck, buy with both hands. What's interesting is that China was melting down the exchange-approved bars, making coins. Could we see a gold-backed currency? I know they want the next standard, but if China takes dominion with the gold-backed trade note, the U.S. would desperately need gold. U.S. has no gold. China's already easing in with the yuan. They're bypassing international trade currencies, you know, making side deals with Russian and Gazprom, etc. So I guess the question is, if they monetize gold, they could make it very high, couldn't they? couldn't agree with you more. And at some point, we're going to see China back their currency with gold. Again, the question is, how much gold is China actually holding? Officially, we're holding in the U.S., as you know, Sheila, about 8,100 tons. China has only admitted to about 3,800 tons, although I believe they're probably holding in excess of 10,000 tons and maybe even more. Russia has tremendous gold reserves. Very few people realize that. And China and Russia are now, I think, going to demonstrate more importantly what unfolds in the Middle East as we move forward. I think in the previous show I had done on the Common Sense show, Visiting with Dave's Listening Audience, we talked about Russia now having a footprint in Syria. This is unlike anything we've ever witnessed with the prior turmoil and certainly the confusion going on in the Middle East if we go back to what we had seen uh, in the late 1970s and 80s. So I think the dynamics of the Middle East as we've once known it has changed and changed dramatically. I think it's going to lead to changes we're going to witness in the European Union, more importantly NATO. And at some point, we're going to see China back their currency with gold. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. A question of when. (laughs) I can't help, Joseph, but be reminded of 1923 Germany here. You know, the French are determined to make Germany pay those reparations under the Treaty of Versailles. Germany gives into France and, of course, Belgium troops marched into the German industrial region. Enter inflation, hyperinflation, printing more money hardworking people literally turning into beggars literally overnight. You got these helter-skelter rising prices and the value of the gold mark and paper mark was frightening. We know the National Socialist Party launched a revolution in Bavaria, but eventually they scrapped the old worthless money that led, of course, to the Reichmark. Are we seeing a Weimar scenario play out? Because it's very frightening, the parallels. And where does this go from here? Well, I think, first of all, we're seeing a reemergence of nationalism in Germany. Where it goes from here, who can say? But Germany has had a long history of understanding hyperinflation. As you know, they had hyperinflation take hold of their economy after World War One. Interestingly enough, at the height of the Weimar Republic and the hyperinflation the Germans realized in their economy, a one-ounce gold coin at the height of the uh, economic problems in Germany bought a whole city block in Frankfurt, Germany. Yes. So the Germans have a long history. They have a long understanding of what can happen when the printing presses run and run in a very reckless manner. And that's one of the reasons why they have some of the largest gold reserves in the world. More importantly, I think the dynamics of the global economies are now changing and changing very rapidly. We've got to get back to a gold standard. It's not a question of if, again, it's a question of when and who does it first. 
I still believe that China probably will do it first. If they're holding the gold reserves that I believe they are, and I have no reason to think that I could be wrong, I think it's a question of timing that they move forward and do, and do it. If they were to announce it, I think they would instantaneously have, once again, a, a, a first-class world reserve currency. Wow. That is amazing, isn't it, Sheila? That's, uh, that's the Chinese century if that happens. Well, along those lines of gold, uh, I interviewed uh, former World Bank attorney Karen Hudis three years ago, and she said that Germany was unable to pry their gold out of the World Bank. One, do you agree with that? And two, is there an implication that we should be concerned about? Well, I think the implication is delivery of gold that's been on deposit uh, at these various institutions for a number of years. As you know, Venezuela requested repatriation of their gold reserves with Hugo Chavez prior to his death. And to my knowledge, they're one of the few countries that was able to get back their entire gold that was been stored overseas. Everyone else who's attempted to follow the footsteps uh, of Venezuela at best only has received a, a partial shipment of their gold reserves with, with promises that they'll receive the balance at a later date. So I'm questioning how much physical gold do these central banks at this point actually have on deposit, Dave. So you're looking at the potential for actual fraud where we took gold from somebody, claim we still have it on the books, but don't really have it. Well, central banks of the world, as you know, loan each other gold reserves on, on a short-term basis. So where the gold is within the economic system, no one really knows. But we know how much gold had been on deposit uh, at these different uh, institutions going back over the years. I think, honestly, there's a lot less gold than people would want to believe. We know how much gold was above ground. We know how much gold was available. The question is, who actually owns it? I've got four words for you. Who actually owns it? We've got fabricated reports, fictional business, unemployment's a sham, the GDP's a joke. Oh, this quarter we're doing great. You don't even have any growth here. It's manipulated statistics. The IMF paper's a trial balloon. I mean, the fact that the U.S. economy operates within really what we'd probably call an ad hoc. But when China's economic growth is slowing to a grinding halt, it really seems like it indicates total recession here, doesn't it? The surprise is how quickly we enter recession and how bad and how quickly this economy deteriorates. Hey, Joseph, we're going to a break real quick. Tell the folks about your incredible newsletter and how people can get it. Well, I've recently sent out to my subscribers the December 2015 issue of the newsletter. And as we speak, I'm working on the next issue, which will be the March 2016 we write about the U.S. economy. We write about the uh, U.S. equity markets and stock and bond markets. We write very extensively in each issue of the newsletter on the precious metals, both gold and silver. We write, again, very extensively uh, on the energy sector, both crude oil and natural gas. And we also write in every issue of the newsletter a compelling uh, outline of where we think we're headed with Fed monetary policy. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to step aside for a break, folks, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Stay tuned. 
For this week's Ranger Gear Review, we are literally giving away folding credit card knives for one penny each. This is Mike Adams, the Health Ranger, and to take advantage of this offer, just go to freefoldingknife.com. That's freefoldingknife.com, and you'll get this folding credit card knife for just one penny. This isn't some gimmick. This is a real emergency use folding credit card knife with a steel blade. Very, very sharp. 65 millimeters in length on the blade, but it folds down like origami to the shape and size of a credit card. This makes it incredibly easy to carry in a pocket or a purse or the glove box of your car and have it ready for emergency use. Normally, these are sold for anywhere from $5 to $10, but right now at FreeFoldingKnife.com, you can get one of these origami-style folding credit card knives for just a penny. Limit one per order, please. So take advantage of it right now at FreeFoldingKnife.com. Welcome back, and thanks for staying with us to the break. I just want to remind you about my friend Bob Griswold at ReadyMadeResources.com. He is offering a special on storable food, and it's the best in storable food. It's Numana. And it is our position here at the Common Sense Show that everybody, every American, have two years of stored food because you can't predict the future. You're hearing that right now, right here on this show with Joseph Meyer, an expert on the economy. So how can you get your storable food that tastes good and is storable and it's compact? It is, I'll tell you what, this is restaurant quality, folks. I have tried this. It is restaurant quality and there's a sale on it. We have a six-month sale at readymaderesources.com. How do you get yours? Call 1-800-627-3809. 1-800-627-3809. If you don't have your food, you better act now because who knows how long we have well, our special guest is Joseph Meyer from StraightMoneyAnalysis.com. And Joseph, let's take a moment and let you tell everyone about how they can follow your good work. Well, what I wanted to offer your listening audience out of respect to you and Sheila and the things you do, a full one-year subscription to the newsletter, normally two fifty nine ninety five at the six-month subscription price of one forty nine ninety five. And I'll also include to educate people and bring them up to speed all four issues of what I had written in 2015, giving people an opportunity to really understand the big picture and more importantly, where we're headed and when I think we'll get there, Dave. Okay, very good. That's a great offer. And on behalf of the listeners of the Common Sense Show, we thank you for making such a generous offer. Sheila? I think I'm going to take them up on that offer myself. Well, this is where I have some confusion. Maybe you can help me understand this better, Joseph, given your your incredible expertise. We're told the U.S. economy was deteriorating at the same time the equity markets were making new all-time highs. People wanted to look at the equity markets and believe that sooner or later the underlying economy would catch up and recover. And I think the reality is now, and maybe you can help me out on this, the equity markets are falling and falling dramatically on a daily basis. So this economic underpinning, we were told to rock solid. Well, nothing to see here, folks. Weigh in on that, Joseph. Well, I think everything you said is is, uh, accordingly and accurately very true as to what is currently going on and what I think is going to worsen. You know, people want to believe, and I've been on the record and I've said it many times, that the stock market was reflective of the U.S. economy. Nothing could be further from the truth. U.S. economy was deteriorating at the same time the equity markets were making new all-time highs. 
and the underlying economic pinnings we were told were rock solid are just disintegrating under our feet. That's the reality of where we are, Sheila. Well, thanks for that, Joseph. And just quick comments about the markets. <laughs> well, I think when you take a look at all the leverage that's been employed in these markets, it's reached insane levels. When you look at the standard of living, that has now been affecting the average American for quite some time. And you look at the transfer of wealth, which has taken place from 2008 and is still ongoing. I'll go on a record and I'll say for the common sense listening audience, we have witnessed in the last several years the greatest transfer of wealth since the Great Depression, 1929 through 1933. Wow. Is it safe to say, Joseph, that the elite of this country, the 1% and above, have never done better while the rest of us are preparing to never do worse? I don't think you could have ever said it better, Dave. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's a striking, striking fact that this government, this Congress, could preside over the, such a massive wealth transfer and the people as a whole just don't get it. What do you think it is about the average American person that they don't understand that they're being robbed blind as they sit there in their chair? Well, they want to live in denial. They want to live in a fantasy world. They want to watch these reality shows on TV rather than get educated and get knowledgeable as to what's going on, why it has taken place, and what they can and should be doing about it. We continue to see these global hotspots. You've got Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Iran, Yemen. And the money that's been spent on these wars uh, over the last 20 years it probably very easily would total up to half the national debt. So the money has been spent on wars. It's not been spent on the infrastructure of America. It's not been spent on giving the average American a better way of life. That, that's the hard facts and reality. I was once told by another economist, and this goes back a few years, he said that we were spending $2 trillion a year on the war effort, and that's about what the IRS takes in every year. Does, does that kind of match with what you know? Well, I don't know how much they take in every year, but I know we certainly spend more than we take in, and we've reached a point where we can no longer do it. We're starting to see reluctance now for countries, you know, wanting to hold our debt. China has sold an awful lot of U.S. Treasury debt, and we're probably going to see other countries as well, you know, move out of, out of Treasury debt, move out of U.S. debt in, in general. So we're seeing a shift now, not only monetarily, we're seeing it economically, we're seeing it politically. These are times that I don't think any one of us uh, would want to believe we would see unfold in our lifetime. But these times are here and now, and as I've said many times, you need a game plan in which to deal with them and deal with them effectively. I don't think we could live in a more perilous time. And I would like, Joseph, if we wouldn't mind just for a moment, Tell our listening audience uh, uh, kind of the short version view of what they should be doing in their immediate future to guard as best as they can against what's coming. Well, I think we're all going to need some cash reserves. As I said many times, you know, cash is not going to become worthless overnight, at least not here in the U.S. I think at a minimum, honestly, Dave, you need six months of living expenses at a minimum to maneuver the possible uh, tough times that are ahead of us. I think you need adequate food and water. You need adequate medical supplies. And I think you've got to take a hard look at the asset classes you continue to hold, and you have to, I think, have a game plan as to what you'll do if they, if they deteriorate any further. 
I think the cornerstone is going to be your gold and silver. It's going to be your coin. I think you've got to have it. You've got to put it away where it's safe, and you've got to prepare for this economy deteriorating even further and times becoming very, very difficult, tenuous, and dangerous. Sheila? Difficult, tenuous, and dangerous are three words you use. I think that is quite an understatement, really. And this is really an important time for people to be aware of what's going on. And yet, as you mentioned, I mean, people are in a absolute dystopic trance, sitting around singing Kumbaya while Rome burns around us. And I don't understand how these people can be so absolutely clueless. They're all tuned into Dancing with the Stars and the football game, but they don't have a clue what's going on. But I think that will be the wake-up call for people when they go to their ATM on a Monday morning. And guess what, Joseph? There isn't any money. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh about it, but soon we could still be crying about it. Well, this is why you have to prepare. You have to take advantage of the things you can do. There's a lot of things we're unable to do for a lot of reasons. But there's still things we can do and should do to certainly give ourselves the protection we need to take care of ourselves and our family. The time to act is act now. You don't have to wait much longer. You're going to get a wake-up call, but it's not going to be the one you're expecting. Yeah, the one they're expecting. Well, that is going to be quite a wake-up call. And I can't help but think about... In all of this, Dave and I have covered extensively Harry Reid's traipsing off to China and setting up these partnerships with ENN. China's getting a little frightening. I guess my point is they own the Fed. They practically own all of America, Manhattan for sure. So I guess why it's so frightening is they own our debt. Couldn't agree with you more. You got to ask yourself two questions. Who is holding the majority of our U.S. debt, China? Who has some of the largest gold reserves, if not the largest gold reserves in the world? The answer is China. The answer to those two questions should be frightening in itself. I think there's no question. It's time for people to get prepared. We have the sponsors that we have on this show, the Common Sense Show, for specific reasons. I turn away sponsorships that don't serve the message of this show, which is what I think the public needs to hear and to prepare for. And you've heard it very clearly here from Joseph Meyer. Again, Joseph. I'd like people to be able to follow your great work. So once again, for those who may have tuned in late, tell them how they can follow you and get a copy of your newsletter. Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website. There's a full sample of the newsletter that will introduce you to the things we write about and we truly feel are important. I'm going to offer once again the one-year subscription to the newsletter, $259.95 at the six-month subscription price, $149.95 save you a full $110 a year over the full one-year subscription price. And we're going to include as a bonus all the 2015 issues that I had written throughout the year of 2015 to bring you up to speed and give you the education and knowledge you need to certainly understand what's happening in these markets and where we're headed from there. That's very, very generous. What are you doing in the short term, my friend? Can you share that with us? Well, we're basically taking care of our business. We've made our long-term decisions a long time ago as to what we think is ahead and, more importantly, when we will get there. I'm a little bit surprised, quite honestly, that it's taken as long as it has for these markets to do what I believe they should have been doing a couple of years ago, Dave. Yeah, it's almost like these things should have already happened. Would you say, just short answer here, that uh, someone has been propping up the market uh, in a 
attempt to just keep the game going a little bit longer? Well, we've had intervention in all the global markets, no question. We've had intervention here in the U.S. markets. Uh, I first became aware of the U.S. intervention, and I think we discussed this in a previous show in 1980, when Ronald Reagan had signed an executive order called the Monetary Control Act in 1980. Did you ever hear of that, Sheila? Yeah, I have. It extended the Fed's authority to impose required reserve rations on the depository institutions. But please do explain it, Joseph, because since I'm not as versed in it as you, I know that much. (laughs) Well, let me explain what it is. The Monetary Control Act in 1980 was an executive legislation signed into law that basically said the government can intervene in any market at any time for any reason. That was on the books in 1980. Now, we had intervention, certainly, at at a more limited uh, basis than what we've uh, witnessed since then. But to think that we've not had intervention in all these markets (laughs) and look at the volatility and and look at the economics that have supported what these markets uh, have been doing and are going to hopefully continue to do until things change, I think you really have to take a hard look at the reasoning behind what these markets have done and are doing currently in the first place. Very good. Uh, Joseph, what you're describing is we're playing in a rigged game with no rules, at least my interpretation. Joseph, you're always a delight as a guest, even though if I lose sleep after you appear on my show, (laughs) I really appreciate you bringing the truth to the airwaves so our listening audience can make better informed decisions. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I want to thank you and Sheila and the Common Sense Show for having me. It was a delight and a true pleasure to visit with your listening audience. Thank you so much, Dave. You're welcome. Thanks. Joseph Meyer, ladies and gentlemen, straightmoneyanalysis.com. Sheila, final thought leading us into the close of this broadcast. How about this? Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for a really articulate final thought? (laughs) You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Sheila closes the show with yikes. We'll be back tomorrow with more on the Common